welcome back or to the reality of fantasy podcast i am your host jesse cook it is a gorgeous friday morning here in madison wisconsin and today i'm going to be recapping the auction draft uh that i briefly uh, that i described in the previous episode and over the course of this podcast i'm going to be highlighting five strategies that are critical for performing well in an auction draft um, and i mentioned in the last episode that i'm most familiar with the snake drafting format and that i've only done a few auction drafts in my life so a couple of these strategies emerged as i gained more experience with the drafting medium. Ultimately, I'm really pleased with how the team turned out. To give you a little preface into where we were, if you didn't tune into episode eight, uh, I was substituting for my good buddy Trevor Franklin in his two-player keeper league auction redraft. And he put me in a very advantageous position for this 14-team league whereby we were keeping Patrick Mahomes and Alvin Kamara. And notably, of this $200 salary league, Alvin Kamara only cost 21. And I'll give you some reference points later as we get to the stud running back section. And Patrick Mahomes only cost 14. So to keep Patrick Mahomes and Alvin Kamara was only 17.5% of my total available salary. So I was in an extremely advantageous spot going into this draft. Additionally, I spent some time combing over the league settings, which were really very unique for the scoring format. There was no points per reception. It was eight rushing yards per point and six receiving yards per point. And when I looked at this, for me, it seemed to de-emphasize the top tier receivers because their one unique ability to have high volume targets and more catches than the mid-tier level is negated by the lack of no points per reception. And two, the fact that a player can amass a large amount of receiving yards but not a lot of touchdowns and still accrue a notable amount of fantasy points versus a player who um, has a mediocre to elevated amount of receiving yards and a notable amount of touchdowns seemingly opens up the amount of available receivers that could be viable. But considering that not as many running backs, especially in a 14-team league, are going to have the workload on the ground to reach their rushing totals, for me it seemed to prioritize wanting to get those three down workhorse backs who are going to be involved in the rushing and passing game. And so that was my strategy coming in to utilize probably about 80 or so dollars is what I reasoned in my mind 
to go after two top tier or tier two, tier three running backs to surround around uh, Kamara and then fill in with some solid stable receivers and then some high upside receivers. Uh, and then also have some stability at running back with some depth. Again, having Mahomes, you're never going to bench him unless it's a bye week. So I looked at bye weeks ahead of time, and they're on week 12. And I found a matchup for a quarterback that I really liked for week 12, and it turned out to be Ben Roethlisberger. I'll have to look at the Steelers' schedule here to give you the full rundown. But it worked out pretty well because my buddy Trevor is a Steelers fan. So I was able to kill two birds with one stone, give us stability at the quarterback position, and also allow Trevor to uh, support his fanship along the way. Uh, yeah, week 12, the Steelers take on the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati, which is why I targeted them. Yeah, so the game, I mean, Ben's better at home typically, sure, but Cincinnati's defense is atrocious. And you would think they might be able to keep it a little closer, which will have Ben put on the gas the whole way. So although I, you know, if it was my team, I probably wouldn't have taken a quarterback. Um, it just seemed like the right thing. And that was the last amount of money I spent to close down our draft. So let's dive in. Strategy number one. You got to go into the auction having a game plan. Whether this is a complete redraft or some sort of a keeper auction uh, integration, you got to know what positions and what players you're trying to prioritize. Generally sketching out where you want to spend your money is essential. Am I the type of guy that really wants to prioritize a large percentage of my money to top tier players? Get two or three of those studs and then try and you know press the pause button for a while and load up at the end on three to five dollar players. And hope for breakouts there do you have the ability to do that are you do you have the knowledge and depth capable of making that work or are you better served trying to surround yourself with a balanced lineup where you get you know 25 to 30 dollar players scattered throughout your lineup and you're not reliant upon your uh, high variance players at your three to five dollar positions having big years to vault you up to the elite tier and you may be able to weather injuries a little bit better in this capacity. So understanding your knowledge and your comfort level with what you want your roster to look like at the end is important. Do you want a top tier quarterback or are you comfortable spending marginal amounts of cash one to three dollars on a quarterback that can provide you you know decent performance and then play the matchups as they come along? These are things you have to ask yourself before diving into an auction. Similarly, you need to have a general sense of the cost of a player that you're interested in. If I'm really interested in, say, Melvin Gordon III, and it seems that his projected cost is 35, am I willing to spend 35? Or am I lower on him at that cost and I set the bar at a different level? This way you at least regulate yourself a little bit when these bidding wars happen because a lot of times we're not really certain of the devotion other managers have to certain players and you really don't. The goal is to never overspend or overspend as 
infrequently as possible and to make your opponents overspend on the players they want, which we'll talk about later. So strategy one, having a general game plan. One thing I did not talk about yet, and it's important, and it kind of goes in with the top tier players thing is, are you gonna be the person who's super aggressive early, betting up people, you know, using a lot of your available money, or are you gonna be patient and wait till the end? There's pros and cons to both. Again, you cannot take your money home with you, right? So you want to use it prudently. And you need to be aware of that as you go through your draft, which is something about the strategy we'll talk about coming here at the end. Strategy two, which is not at the end, sorry. Uh, we're gonna transition to it right now. Strategy two, have a sense of where you're going to spend your money. This ties into having a general game plan, but gets a little more specific. So you wanna outline your guys, which players you're most interested in and the dollar amounts that they're typically going for and the range that you're comfortable spending on them. Uh, and this could be an overspending range as well. Sometimes you just have to go get your guys, right? Uh, you need to anticipate where your money is going to go. And this needs to be an evolving process. You'll start in with a general game plan and maybe you get a couple of the guys early on that you want, but a couple of them didn't fall your way because other people outbid you, whatever it may be. Then you need to reevaluate. Look at your roster and figure out, okay, I have this much money remaining. Where's the bulk gonna go? Where am I gonna be able to pick up two, $3 players to supplement the remaining portions of my roster and bolster it? So having a general sense and then adapting based on what transpires. But you need to continually evaluate where the money is going to go because the worst thing, the thing you do not want is money on the table at the end of your auction when we're dealing with kickers and defenses and things like that where you don't really, you know, you're wasting your, your chance at that point of using your money wisely. Within this, you want to be aggressive on the players you want. Again, I said our goal in, in strategy one was to not overspend. However, we also, again, don't wanna leave money on the table. So if you're really high on a guy, like for instance, I'm really high on Chris Carson, okay? Be aggressive. Be aggressive with your money early on. Now, again, this is where you have to have ranges that you're comfortable with. Because that doesn't mean that if I had Chris Carson, which I did at a range, $40 was like my top tier range for him. I'm not paying 50. As much as I love the guy, if I if someone else is a Seattle Seahawks diehard fan and they're like, you know, I got a Chris Carson tattoo on my back and I'm also going to spend $50 in this draft on him, so be it. I have to reevaluate and figure it out from there. But I will be aggressive to that point that I set. And I won't let a few dollars here or there on a player I'm really interested in um, dictate whether or not I get heavily involved with a player in a bidding match. However, with that said, I made a mistake. I'm willing to admit this, I made a mistake. So early on in the draft, uh, somebody else nominated Josh Gordon, okay? Uh, he ends up going pick 19. And at this point, uh, only a few receivers had been drafted ahead of him. Uh, Odell Beckham went for 59, 59. Devonte Adams for 53, okay? Those were the only two wide receivers that had gone yet. So I really wasn't sure what sort of value Josh Gordon, his true value in this league, and what I was willing to pay. 
I really had no sense. And this compromised my ability to bid appropriately on him based on what I ended up bidding on receivers later on. So Josh Gordon up going for 17. I was in a bidding match with El Pupacabra. And when I went 16, eventually, he went 17. And I sat there and thought. At that point, I had only taken Chris Carson earlier. I still wanted to get another stud running back, so I didn't want to get up to the 25-30s yet without being certain that I had that other running back on my roster. And in hindsight, I regret it, and I would have been comfortable knowing what I know now, going up to about 25 or 30 even with Josh Gordon. But again, I was devaluing receivers at this point. I wanted to get that second running back first, and um, it's a good snag by El Pupacabra, I'll say that much, based on what I've seen, considering Julian Edelman went for 29 two picks later. All right. So strategy two, have a sense of where you're going to spend your money. Strategy three, nominate the players you want, but at the right time. Okay. I'm not about the whole throwing players out there that you don't have an interest in, except for one caveat, which we'll talk about later. I am, however, very interested in nominating the players I want, but in situations where I'm more likely to get them at a lower cost. So what I mean by this is you can often provide your nominations with protection where they may be three or four spots down from the top remaining average draft player um, on the drafting platform medium when you nominate them for that position. So say it's a running back you're really interested in. They're currently behind you know, Todd Gurley and Dalvin Cook. And so people in your drafting board are still looking at those names. And yeah, you, you'll probably get some bids. You'll get some bids against you, so on and so forth. But you're basically dealing with human psychology here. And eventually you're going to get to a point where the person you're bidding against, unless they had some diehard commitment to this player, is going to think to themselves, well, shit, such and such is still on the board. You know, I don't need to go all in with this guy right now. However, on the contrary, the contrasting nature... If you were to nominate a player like a Dalvin Cook when he's the only when he's the top tier option on the board, and say there's a dwindling amount of running backs left, and there's three teams that really need a top tier running back, you may end up overpaying for this player because they think in their mind they're desperate they're desperate to get this player. Whereas before they had they had outs, they had options, they were less desperate. And this could lead to significantly reduced costs on players. Um, and so I think it's really important to continually evaluate which players you're interested in and where they stand on the ADP boards for their positions. Because if I have a player who's, you know, got three players of protection ahead of them as a running back and another player that's got seven players as protection against them as a wide receiver, yet I know the wide receiver's ADP technically is higher than the running back's ADP, it still makes more sense to nominate that running back then because there's the protection is dwindling, the protection is reducing, and you're more likely to still have the protection later for the wide receiver. 
I really hope that makes sense because it's important, very important, because our goal here is to get the best team at the lowest cost so that we can continually maximize our bets on players. So strategy three, nominate the players you want at the right time. Strategy four, this takes a lot of dedication, okay? But if you're getting yourself involved in an auction draft, you really want to um, not have any other distractions going on because you need to be aware of league members' tendencies and bias. You need to see which managers are looking for certain positions, okay? If a certain manager is looking for a certain position, then this is the time when I may nominate a player that I'm not particularly interested in. Say I want Dalvin Cook, right? But Chris Carson, or sorry, Nick Chubb's on the board still, and it's early on in the draft. Saquon's still on the board, something like that. That's a bad example because we don't know their tendencies yet. Let's say later on in the draft, I'm really interested in like a Josh Jacobs or something, right? And there's still a couple top tier running backs ahead of them. And I've seen a couple managers, three, three or so, that are really interested in a top tier running back bidding against each other. Well, instead of throwing out Josh Jacobs there as protection, I may try and reduce the amount of managers I'm going to be bidding against when I want my player by nominating one of the players ahead of them or something along those lines. I'm trying to trim the fat, so to speak, on the potential bidders against me because the worst thing is when you have not just one bidder against you who's really intentional and committed, but multiple bidders who are willing to drive this cost through the roof. Similarly, you wanna be very cognizant of league bias. And it was very apparent early on that this league was going to be Midwestern biased. You know, Packers straight up, Lions and Bears, oh my. So the Bears defense went for $7 as the third pick off the board. Aaron Rodgers went for $20 as a point of reference. Deshaun Watson ended up going for $21, and both of those are overpays in general uh, for the quarterback. But uh, that the fact that Aaron Rodgers was the second nomination and the Bears were the third was a pretty telltale sign that this was a Midwest bias. Similarly, Devontae Adams went for $53. Um, and there was a lot of people involved. So you can use this if you're trying to drive up, if you're trying to have people spend a bunch of money early on so that you have more draft capital remaining to invest on the players you want, whereas they don't. You can have the intimidation factor. Or you can reevaluate your strategy and try and figure out, is it truly worthwhile for me to go after these types of players knowing that I'm gonna to have to spend more. Are these players worth having to spend more? And you can know that as you navigate the draft and then go up to number two, where you're continually evaluating where you're gonna spend your money and determine a strategy based on what's transpiring. Similarly, it seemed in this draft that they had interested in the younger collegiate athletes, uh, your Devin Singletary's, your David Montgomery's, those types of players. So in my mind, I wasn't really 
I'm not really interested in spending a fair amount of money on unproven talent. Uh, so that really solidified in my mind, uh, you know, not going after the Darwin Thompsons, things of that nature. Even though I think they're in great spots, it just wasn't a way that I could have an advantage based on the tendencies of the league members around me. So strategy four, got to be aware of the league members' tendencies and bias. Strategy five got to learn how to inflate the cost on the players that you do not want. And this is a really challenging skill to learn. I, in the past, have butchered it and been stuck with players I don't want at salaries that are oppressive and limit my abilities as a manager and a drafter across the rest of the draft. However, I developed this approach from a few years back, and it's really translated well across all my auctions and I think it's a great way of approaching it so if there's a player I want and we'll use this as a reference Mike Evans okay I'm not interested in Mike Evans uh, I think Chris Godwin's a great play there's already some injury concerns I think Mike Evans is great right but the scoring format doesn't seem to be uh, most conducive for him since he's uh, you know a wide receiver and I think I can patched together some quality wide receivers to fill it in. It just wasn't my prerogative. So naturally, somebody threw out Mike Evans at a $1 bid, right? $2, $3, $4. So it gets to $6. There's five people or four people doing it. And I had him pegged for $40 was the max I was willing to go on Mike Evans. Even though I didn't want him, I still had a value in my mind that like if I got stuck with him, I would be okay with that, Okay. So at $6, I immediately, immediately pushed it to 33 And what this does to the league from a human psychology standpoint is it goes, whoa, this guy's really interested in Mike Evans. Okay. Am I interested? Okay. Yeah, I am. Okay, let's keep going. But I, it sets the tone for what's going to happen. And if I get stuck with him at that point, that's okay because it's still under the value I was most comfortable with. And I'm still getting good value. But... Uh, it's likely to produce higher uh, eventual salaries for these players' costs um, when the bidding goes. And eventually Mike Evans costs $51, which I think is an egregious overpay. Um, given his injury right now and the potential for distributions of targets and so on and so forth. I think the, the push from 6 to 33 had a uh, was very valuable in pushing making that happen. Similarly, I did the same with Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. Um, and eventually, Saquon went for 76 and McCaffrey 75. And again, I think these are detrimental to building the appropriate roster. Uh, but that may have been their approach that they wanted the elite stud. Um, but I believe with Saquon, I immediately pushed it to, because I was still looking for a second back and I knew it wasn't going to settle there. Uh, so I immediately pushed it to 61. Uh, after it was like at 10 or something. And then people just kept bidding at each other and eventually it settled on 76. So that's a good way to deplete your owners of their salary. And again, that gives you a huge advantage when you get to the players you actually want, where you can leverage a little bit. They look at your remaining salaries and what they have left and you can start tailoring your bet size, your, your uh, bidding size, to basically 
inhibit them from continuing on. And this worked really well in my favor and allowed me to get Josh Jacobs in the 56th pick for $27. Again, as a reference, as a reference, Mark Ingram went for 25, carry on Johnson for 46, Devonte Freeman for 44, um, Leonard Fournette for 42. And I got Josh Jacobs for 27. And this again is a two keeper league. So let's say for Trevor going forward, you want to keep Kamara and Josh Jacobs. You have two stud running backs at that price. So what ended up happening there is there was only a couple teams left that were interested in running backs, but I had so much more money than them that they couldn't get into a bidding war with me with the amount of players that they had to fill their roster with later. They were at a severe disadvantage and they knew it. And so at some point they just had to throw in the towel. Uh, so I was able to snag Josh Jacobs at a steal of a price to the point where many members in the league in the chat, you know, steal, 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 steal is basically what they were, they were typing in. And that's the advantage you can, or that's the situations you can find yourself in if you're cognizant of the other strategies ahead. Uh, overall, I was pretty thrilled with how things transpired. I was able to get Latavius Murray as well as my fourth running back. Um, to provide stability, and, and uh, I think he has standalone value. Um, I lost out on Duke Johnson later on. Um, ended up getting Kalen Balazs for $9, which is starting to look a little better too when you think about um, the fact that Kenyon Drake maybe ended up in, in on the Texans. Uh, and then my strategy to get receivers uh, that were – Potentially likely to get a thousand yards yard monsters is kind of what I'm looking for pitch and patch yards monsters I'm gonna start DD Westbrook and Sterling Shepard. I like both of them quite a bit uh, I ended up in my opinion overpaying for DD Westbrook relative to the Josh Gordon scenario um, But I'm okay with that, you know, I like DD. I didn't know what I knew earlier about Josh Gordon um, But I got DD for 25 and I think he's gonna be a stud with Nick Nick Foles there. Uh, I was able to get Sterling Shepard for eight. I think he'll be, if he stays healthy, a lock for a thousand yards without an, uh, Odell Beckham there. Uh, I got Emmanuel Sanders for five, and I love what he looks like right now. Uh, you know, if Joe Flacco, maybe he's got one year left, and and Sanders can creep over a thousand if he stays healthy. Um, John Brown at eight. Uh, I. I you know, I like the upside John Brown has. I think he's the perp a great receiver to have with Josh Allen, uh, where there could be a lot of spike games there. Um, I was able to snag Vance McDonald as, as the tight end, which I think is great. Again, we're looking for guys who might be able to get to the 800 receiving yard range as a tight end based on the scoring format. I think he's got the chance there. I was able to stand, uh, snag Dante Moncrief. Um, I lost out on a James Washington a few picks later, but again, Trevor's a... Steelers fan and uh, you know get as many Steelers as possible but also that that second Steeler position has always been valuable and I think Moncrief you know he's still young which blows my freaking mind uh, the guy is 26 years old right and I feel like Dante Moncrief's been in the league much longer than that so to think that he doesn't have a thousand yard season him working with Big Ben I think is asinine I think there's a good chance he gets there with all the targets that are void and not having Antonio Brown around I also ended up with TJ Hawkinson for $3 and rookie tight ends. It is what it is. Uh, I actually 
drafted him late because of the potential Midwest bias and the potential that we could upgrade a position by pairing him with somebody um, to make that happen. But uh, overall, I also got the Baltimore defense for $2, and I currently don't have a kicker for Trevor. So we'll figure out how it goes. But um, the starting roster in a 14-team league is Patrick Mahomes, D.D. Westbrook, Sterling Shepard, Alvin Kamara, Chris Carson, Vance McDonald, and Josh Jacobs. Pretty happy with that. And you got Latavius Murley, Kalen Blodge, Dante Moncrief, Emmanuel Sanders, John Brown, TJ Hawkinson, and Big Ben on the bench. That's pretty awesome. And I used $199 of my $200 available. So I'm pretty thrilled with how things happened. Again, there's a lot that can go on in an auction, and it's not for everybody. But it's a really fun format if you are attentive. So strategy one was have a general game plan going in. Strategy two, have a sense of where you are going to spend your money. Which players, which positions have a sense. And this needs to continually evolve throughout the draft as your roster uh, adapt or uh, is modified and you have voids in certain areas and uh, the certain positional um, spots are then deficient as players come off the board. You just have to be able to adapt and have a strategy going forward in the sense of where you're going to spend your money. Uh, strategy three is nominate the players that you want and at the right time. Again, at the right time, you can provide protection and give yourself an opportunity to underpay for a player relative to their expected cost. Strategy four, be aware of your league members' tendencies and bias. You can pick up a lot based on their bidding strategies, their approach, uh, which types of players they're going for. Uh, are they more likely regionally to overbid on certain players? Uh, and again, we're trying to win the market here by under uh, paying on guys we want and making them overpay on players they want. Uh, and strategy five is learn how to inflate the cost on the players that you do not want. Again, this is tricky. It can backfire. But again, we're trying to have them overpay on the players they want, especially early on the draft, so you have an advantage later on and you can snag players like Josh Jacobs for 27 which is probably about $13 under what he should have gone for in that draft. So overall, folks, pretty thrilled with the draft. For today, I'm going to highlight another brewery. Um, this one is in Madison, Wisconsin. It's called Rockhound Brewing Company, and I'm currently a Mug Club member. I frequent Rockhound quite a bit. They have a couple of my favorite beers in Madison, one called The Grinder. It's a coffee stout, and one called Outcrop. It's an oatmeal pale ale. I'm a big fan of both. One of the things I love about um, Rockhound is they're a conscientious brewery. Uh, they give back to charity all the time. A lot of their proceeds go to charity. Uh, I also, of course, like their beer, but I like the people there. They're good people, good stimulating conversation. Uh, their clients are polite and engaging. It's a nice layout. It's close to my place, about a mile and a half away. And they also cater to bike benefits. Um, I have a sticker that I paid $5 for. It gives me benefits to many different locations around Madison. Uh, Rockhound's one of them. And anytime I go in there with my helmet, uh, it's two for one on on pints so that's great and i'm also now a mug club member um, their mug club used to be 60 dollars. it was during my birthday week reduced to 35 it made sense i get bike benefits on my mug clubs so when i go in there i end up spending about seven dollars and fifty cents 550 on a beer uh, two dollars for tipping because i'm getting two beers out of this two for one uh, and i get two 20 ounce pours so i'm getting 40 ounces of beer for 750 and when you're doing craft beer at a brewery for that price, unbeatable, great ambiance. So shout out to Rockhound. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I love it. And I hope the patio construction goes well. 
So, folks, thank you for listening. This has been Jesse Cook on the Reality of Fantasy, recapping Trevor Franklin's auction draft uh, that I substituted in as the drafter. Uh, And I highlighted five important strategies that you need to be cognizant of and hopefully utilize as you go if you engage in auction drafting. Uh, It's been a pleasure and take care of yourselves.